Okay, folks, um, we're just going to read from the Bible before John comes to speak to us this morning. We're going to be uh, continuing our series in the book of James. So if you can um, open your Bible at James chapter 1, and we're going to read from verses 12 through to 25, and I think it will also be on the screen. There it is. Just follow along, starting at verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love Him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and He Himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, desire when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Let me just pray for us before John comes this morning. Father God, we just thank you for just the beautiful morning that you have given to us this morning, Lord. It just speaks of your majesty and your, your, your glory and your goodness and your bigness, Lord, and we, we come to focus on that this morning, Lord. We come to worship you this morning in this place, and we ask by your Holy Spirit that you will enable us to, as this, has, as this word that we have read has already said, that we become people who not just hear the word of God, but actually do it. Holy Spirit, will you change us, transform us, implant the word in our hearts and in our souls, that it will save our lives and save our souls. Lord, I pray for John now as he comes to speak to us. Will you give him words that come from heaven directly from you that will, uh, through the Holy Spirit's work, convict, encourage, and challenge us this morning. We pray for the kids who are in their various spaces this morning as well, that you would work powerfully in those spaces this morning, and that there might be a harvest of, of good fruit that is produced from this time together this morning. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Dave. Morning, everyone. Morning. Good to be with you this morning as we are well, we're not quite finishing chapter one of James this morning. James is going to be one of those books where we probably do need to take our time as we go through it. And so we're not quite finishing chapter one this morning. We're, we're, we're nearly going to be there, but we're, we'll take it the rest of chapter one next week. So, uh, I never fail to be surprised by armchair quarterbacks. Now, let me explain what that term means armchair quarterbacks, right? The phrase armchair quarterback, of course, describes someone who 
It's obviously referring to American football. But it describes someone who sits in the comfort of their own home, sits on the comfort of their own sofa or armchair, and dictates or tells the team or tells the players what to do. Right? You, you get it. Now, any of us who ever watch football, that will probably describe us, right? We sit there from the comfort of our own homes and we dictate or we, we tell the players what they should be doing, right? I was at Rothfriend's final there a couple of weeks ago and literally two down from me was a fellow that I used to play with, right? And he was telling the guys on the pitch, shouting directions, shouting instructions what to do. I played with him. He wasn't that great. But that's what we do. We sit there and we dictate and we, we, we you know, tell them what to do and tell them, you know, give them instructions. That's, the, that's what means armchair quarterback. Knows all about the game but doesn't put it into practice. Knows everything about it but doesn't put it into practice. I sat in a coffee shop the other day, which will remain nameless, one that I'm not often in, that's sarcasm, uh, and listened to, to a group of ladies. Now, I'm not slagging ladies. Just let's, let's be honest. There was a group of ladies in the coffee shop, and I sat and listened to them for a moment. When I was prepping this, and it was ironic that I was prepping this at the time, and I sat and listened to them dictate and fully structure out the way the education system should be. And I was like, I, I was so tempted to go over to the table and be like, can any of you show me your education degrees here? No? No? They had it sussed. Knew all about it couldn't put it into practice. Dare I say it, we have had an election this week in our country. And inevitably, over the next weeks, months, years, we will sit and tell our politicians exactly how they should be doing things. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm sure every single one of us, if we had have desired to, could have put in a wee paper, uh, uh, submitted a paper, and, and went up for election ourselves. No? No? Yes, we could have. But we chose not to do that. And yet we sit and criticize and dictate and tell and, and armchair quarterbacks. Armchair quarterbacks. As I said last week, James is going to tell us to cut out the armchair quarterback nonsense when it comes to being a Christian. He's going to tell us to stop that. He's going to say, don't just talk about it or don't just know about it. Live it. Don't just talk about it. Don't just know about it. Live it. Stop being an armchair quarterback when it comes to faith, when it comes to being a follower of Jesus. Don't just talk about it. Don't just know about it. Live it. And here in, in, in James chapter one where we pick it up today, we pick it up in, in verse 12. He says this, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he stood the test of time, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. And we covered a lot of this last week, actually. But I just want to ex explain that verse very, very quickly, and then we're going to move on. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, will receive. What you have here, basically wrapped up in one verse, is, is, is a doctrine. All right? and I don't want to go too far into this, but it's the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. Basically, that's what we have in one verse there. 
It is the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. And what that means is this. Those who are true followers of Christ will persevere. And when those true followers of Christ actually persevere, God will give them what he has promised them, the crown of life. That's basically what that verse means. So, are those, we talked about people last week, one of the responses to trials are people who, when trials come, throw up their hands, walk away. Now, we, we've had this conversation umpteen times in, in our home group. We've, we, have it, we have it here regularly. If those people never returned to Christ, were they ever true followers of Christ in the first place? Your answer? No. No. They weren't. True followers of Christ, as we see from James chapter 1, verse 12, will persevere. They will. Somehow, someway, they may drift, they may come back, they, but they will persevere. And it is to those that Jesus will give the crown of life. Those who walk away, throw the hands up, and never return, there is no guarantee that they were ever, ever followers of Jesus in the first place. So what we have there in verse 12, very briefly, is the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. All right? So, let's move on. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Right? This in the context of trials again, when things, hard things come into our lives, James is talking about that. What our temptation is, is to what? Blame God. Our temptation when hard things come into our life is to blame God. That's what we naturally do. It's, it's how we're seemingly how we're wired. And, and, and James here uses the example of a hard thing coming into our life as temptation. That's what he's doing. He's using that as an example. It's almost as if James knows when temptation comes into our life, when a hard temptation comes into our life, hard things come into our life, we clench our fist and we say, God, how could you do this to me? God, how could you do this to me? And what we do when we, in that moment, when we do that, when we clench our fist at God and say, God, how can you do this to me? Is what we do is we have fallen into the mindset of this. We have made God like us. We have made God like us. We have put God in a, in a much smaller box than he could ever be put in. And what, essentially what we've done is we've made him into an idol. We're worshiping and serving what we want because this interruption has come into our life. And because we have been serving God and loving God, God has done this to us. And then we are mad with God. That's what happens when we get disappointed when trials come into our lives. We shake the fist at God and say, how, God, can you do this to me? And James here, like a, a good pastor, doesn't just say, well, do you know what? Stop doing it. Stop doing that. Stop putting God in this box. Stop saying God's like this. Just stop it. No, he doesn't do that. He actually refers the, the readers to the character of God. Instead of just saying, stop doing it, he actually shows them what God is like. And he says this, 
God cannot be tempted with evil. He shows them God's character. God cannot be tempted by evil, and He Himself tempts no one. So to turn us away from our wrong views of God, what He does is He, he shows us a different view of God, the right view of God. Not just says, don't do it, don't do it. Be neg- don't, he doesn't just go in the negative. He actually gives us a vision of who God is. So James is telling us, he's reminding us that far from, far from God being even able to, to, to bring evil upon us, he is reminding us of the goodness and the perfection and the truth and the beauty of who God is. He can never be charged with doing evil. Never does it. And so, in this example that James uses of temptation, let, him say, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. He points us to the character of God and says he's perfect, he's just, he is beautiful. And then he goes on to tell us what the actual problem is. Not only does James show us the character of God and actually who He is, but He shows us what we serve. And what we serve are our own desires. What we serve are our own desires. Look at verse, look at verse 14 again. But each person, when he is tempted, he is lured and enticed by what? His own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. You see what James is saying? The problem is not God. The problem is us. The problem is not God. The problem is us. We're the problem. Our hearts are the problem. Our desires are the problem. And that's hard to hear. That is hard for us to hear. It's hard for us to fathom because we could be the most humble person in this room. And if you say you're the most humble person in this room, you're probably not, all right? That's just me. But we could be the most humble person in this room, and the reality is there's still pride there. And we do not like being told that the problem is with us. We don't like it. It grates on us. Your biggest problem this morning, your biggest let me be very blunt. Your biggest problem this morning is you. My biggest problem, I, listen, I am clear on this. My biggest problem is definitely me. 100% me. And I want to say this on the back of that. You and I will never, ever, ever be able to see and appreciate the beauty of the gospel and, and the magnitude of the gospel and how good the gospel is and how, oh, it's just unbelievable. We will never be able to appreciate that until we come to the conclusion and come to the realization that the problem is us. Because if we always think it's something out there, then we are never able to apply the gospel to ourselves. James says it's our sinful desires, the things we're after, 
that are not God that are the, that are the problem. Those desires that, that lead us astray, what we want more than Him, what we want more than God, that's the problem, our desire. Notice the language that James uses here. It, it's, it's interesting because apparently, I'm not, I, I read this in books, all right? So don't for one second think John's up there and he's reading first century literature, all right? He's not. He has read this in a commentary, all right? Let's just be clear. I read this in a commentary this week that apparently in the first century, they used this language a lot around hunting. And, and, and so when you, when you see James say, he uses verbs here like lured and enticed, they're almost without exception used in hunting terminology. Right. Now, I'm just going to be straight up. This may be a disturbing story for some. I am not a hunter, right? There's once a photograph of me on Facebook holding a, a jackrabbit. Now, they're vermin in Nevada, all right? Let me be clear. They're vermin, right? And, and I was out with shooting with friends, and, and I, I'll say, maimed a rabbit. Didn't kill it. it, was, it wasn't a, that was not the time you were there, was it? No, because I didn't get any that day. <laughs> uh, maimed one, and the other boys had to do the rest of the work. That's all I'm saying, all right? But there's a photograph, and I got an awful abuse on social media for that photograph. But I am not a hunter. Can I just, like, also, when we, when we use words like lured and enticed here when it comes to hunting terminology, there's not much luring and enticing in clay pigeons either, by the way. All right? Just so no, Lanny's not a hunter either. But, but these words, lured and enticed, right? That's, that's, it's talking about hunters or fishermen or, or people who go after. They, they, they spend time. They tantalize whatever they're going after. They, 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 they put the work in. And they lure and they entice. What James is talking about here are the desires that wage war on our hearts every single day. They lure and they entice us. They're constantly seeking, constantly seeking. Your sinful heart, my sinful heart, is constantly seeking to lure and entice us away from Jesus. Now, let me be clear on this one as well. Who do we mostly blame for that? Who do we mostly blame for our, our luring and our enticing towards sin? Who do we put the blame on for that? Satan. The devil made me do it. What does James say? What does James say? James says, it is our own hearts that lure us and entice us. Now, does Satan use these things? Yes, he does. But let's not be overly quick to blame Satan for all our mess-ups, for all our mistakes, for all our luring and enticing. Let's not be too quick to jump on him, but actually let's be a wee bit quicker to look at ourselves. James wants us to look at ourselves. He says, desire leads to sin, which fully conceived 
leads to death. And this is a profound analysis of, the, of our human condition. We've talked about this before. We, we, we've said it just actually a few weeks ago. Uh, scripture seems to want to remind us of this. You and I do what we do because it's what we want to do. We do what we do because it's what we want to do. We love what we do, and so we do what we want to do. What sparks that? Desire. We have desires for that thing, so we do that thing. That's as, it's as simple as that. This is the key to understanding why we do what we do. From every single everyday behavior, and, and you take it right across the scale from, from any of us who are just, we're thinking about everyday behaviors to the most hardened addict that we, ha, that we can think of. The key to why we do what we do is our own desires. It's what we want to do. Fundamentally, our, our, our lives are a tailor of our desires. They drive us. They reveal, they, our desires reveal in us our idols. So what you desire most will reveal what your idol is. So if I desire most, I'll just be honest as your pastor again, if I desire most to go home from church on a Sunday afternoon and, and uh, my greatest desire is for peace, which it normally is, uh, and all I want to do is, is watch football or, or just sit in the sofa and chill out and relax and watch football and nobody annoy me and blah, blah, blah. What does that reveal that my idol is? My idol is comfort. That's what it does. That's my desire. That's where it leads. And my idol is comfort. That's what I want most, more than anything. I was going to say not that I get it much, but that, uh, I can say that in this service because Julie's not here. But... Uh, but it reveals what we want most, our desires. And look at the way James puts this. He says, but when each one is tempted, he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. So desire leads us to do what we want to do, then we sin, and then when that is fully grown, it brings death. And James here is just being really, really logical. When he uses the, when he uses the, the language of birth, when something is birthed, what does it do? It grows. It grows. And so these desires that we have that lure us and entice us away from Jesus, when we enter into that, what does it do? It grows. And what we thought was, what we thought was going to be harmless and, and what we thought was going to be okay and what we thought we could manage, all of a sudden is unmanageable. Why? Because it has grown. There's coming a day in the Irvine house, right? And I dread it. I dread the day in the Irvine house. Isaac's 16 this week. There's coming a day when Isaac will be able to put me in a headlock and I'll not be able to do anything about it. Right now, I can still manage him. 
Just about. His mum can't. <laughs> Brilliant. He puts Julie in the headlock, does that there. I love it. Uh, but he was, I remember the day he was born like yesterday. And he grew. And he's becoming unmanageable to me, physically. That's what sin does. Our desires start off, they give birth to sin. Sin, when it gets a hold and when it gets a grip, grows to the point where it's unmanageable. And what does it do? It kills us. It kills us. James just is so logical in his thinking. walks us through that process. If you want to know how powerful desires are and how they can lead these, these steps that James walks us through, lead us down a certain path, the best analogy I can give you is when you, when you set out on, on a, a diet, right? And, and who of us haven't been there, right? When you set out on a diet, the thing, what is the, th when you say no, right, I'm going to stop this, I'm not going to do this anymore, I've been indulging too much in that chocolate, whatever, fry, doesn't really matter to me, I like it all. Uh, Ali Murray's not like that, he goes starter, main course starter, but uh, if you say you're going to cut that out, you're not going to do that anymore, what is the one thing that's on your mind? What's the one thing? The food that you said you would cut out, Yes? Everybody, I'm not just, it is the one thing, the consuming thing that gets you. It's like, I, I can't cope without this. It's, it, where's that come from? It comes from your desire. You say you're not going to do it. It is your desire. You want it. The one thing that you're not supposed to be eating are the things you, you want. And if you ever want to understand, this is, this is really profound, not for me, from someone else. If you ever want to understand the mind of an addict, go on a diet. If you ever want to understand the mind of an addict, go on a diet and cut something out that you really, really love. And then you'll understand. James says that these insatiable desires lead to death. All of us have them. All of us have things in our lives that we want so badly that if we were to get them, they would kill us. All of us. James says, Then desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. And then he says in verse 16, and this is crucial, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Do not be deceived. That's his tagline to the end of this sort of section. Do not be deceived. What he's saying is, what is at the root of the wrong desire? The root of the wrong desire is deception. The root of the wrong desire is being deceived into thinking that that desire will bring fulfillment. 
when we think that this thing is going to fulfill us, when we think that this thing is going to make us whole, when we think that this thing is going to make us whatever, 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 that is a deception. The object, the idol, whatever. It's telling us that everything's going to be okay. It will bring us comfort. It will bring us healing. It will bring us stability or security or whatever. It'll make all your dreams come true. James says, don't fall for that. It is a lie. You're being hunted. You're being hunted. Don't be deceived. How do hunters catch their prey? They deceive them into thinking they're going to get something that will, what? Feed them or help them or whatever. Don't be deceived, James says. And he says this is a constant battle. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Because he knows how easy it is to have that happen to us. Because here's the reality for you. If you're a follower of Christ, you have, you have two people going after you. You have yourself and you have Satan. And let, let, let's make no mistake. Satan's desire for you is one thing and one thing only, and that is destruction. Destruction. He's not playing any games. He's certainly not an armchair quarterback. He is going after you with all that he has, for he wants to destroy you. And James' call to us is, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. Because we are easily deceived. We all know that line from the hymn. I think it's uh, come now found, isn't it? Uh, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the, the, Lord, the God I love. I like that because it's true. And it resonates with me. And I hope it resonates with you because it's true of you as well. We are prone to wander. We are easily enticed. We are easily ensnared. And James is saying, do not be deceived. Don't fall for it. Don't fall for it. Whatever it is, don't fall for it. Watch out. Let me ask you a question. What is it for you? Because it's all different across the room. It is completely different for every single person in this room. I guarantee you that. But I guarantee you this. There is one thing or a few things that, that will lead you down a path that will lead to destruction. Fight it with all your worth and with the power of the Holy Spirit. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. What is the, the antidote to this? What is the antidote to, to not being deceived? 
Because if you're like me again, and you're faced with temptations, and you're faced with trials, and more often than not, you fall or you fail, and then these things present them. You say, you're never going to do that again, and these things present themselves again, and you do it again. You know, it can become, it can become wearisome. It can become burdensome. It can become a bit deflating, to be honest. Yes? You with me? No? Nobody else struggles with these things apart from John, again. Uh, but when we, when we say we're not going to do them and we're presented over and over and over, what, what, what's the antidote? What is the only antidote? The only antidote is to put our faith in the one who never struggled or never failed. That's it. That's it. Our only antidote is to put faith in the one who never failed. Tempted in every way as we are, yet what? Without sin. And we put all our hope and all our faith there. That is our only antidote. To know that when we do that, we are protected and we are safe. James is going to remind us again and again, we belong to the one, the only one who has ever perfectly lived, who has never fallen foul of any temptation, Jesus. And it is by faith and faith in him alone that we are kept. Because he's the only one who has kept the law perfectly for us. You see, and when we realize this, that, that it's not us, that it is all him, it takes us to sort of like another level of God's love for us. It, take us. it takes us deeper into the love of God. For He would know and know us so well that He would know that even as Jesus went to the cross, that He would know that we would sit here in North Island in 2022 and we would be fallen human beings and we would fall and we would mess up and we would screw things up to the degree that you would never imagine. And he would know that. The Father would know that, and he would send Jesus to live perfectly for us in our place. It is only when we see that we see the actual love of God. God the Father was willing to put all the wrath that we deserved on his Son. So that even when we fall to our sinful desires and our sinful temptations, we may be forgiven. And when we realize that, and when we see that, when we unleash the gospel in our lives, it gives us a new desire and a new want to serve Jesus. Look at James 1.17. Do not be deceived, my, bro my, bro my beloved brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Right. What is James saying here? James is actually talking about, when he says every good and perfect gift is from above, what, what is he talking about there specifically? He's talking about salvation. He's actually talking about salvation because that is a good, that's a good and perfect gift that God has given to his children, salvation. So every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Now, why is this good news for us this morning? Why is that good news? Because here's the thing, here's the deal. 
You may be messed up. You may have messed up as much as you could ever mess up. But God has set His love on you, and He is not changing His mind on that. You, you don't get it by the look of your faces. Seriously. God, no matter how much you've messed up, no matter how much you screw up, no matter how much you, 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 you couldn't go far enough away, God has set His love on you, and this is a reminder that he, this is who He is. He has done that, and He's not going to change His mind. Let me read it again, because you don't seem to be getting it. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Salvation imparted to God's children, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation of shadow due to change. He is not changing His mind about you. Fact. That's good news. Everybody else might. He's not. He's not. Verse 18. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be the kind of first fruits of his creatures. It's like God in verse 18 through James is saying, I chose you. I chose you. And I know you're a mess. I chose you, and I know you're a mess. And I'm going to do a wee bit of showing off. Because I'm going to show off what I can do with someone like that. Of his own will, God wasn't forced into choosing you, by the way. It's not as if someone, you know, put his arm up his back and said, you must choose such and such. No, of his own will, God chose you. You. That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creations. That is a mind-blowing verse right there because we are going to be like God's going to God's going to someday I, I genuinely think God's going to come there and someday go to Satan look what I did look at this messed up bunch look what I did do you realize that God couldn't show off anymore than taking your life and turning it around and, taking, and using it for his glory there's, no, there's nothing like the mountains are good but to, t to take someone like you me and to turn that around and use that for his glory, there's nothing greater. There is nothing greater. And that's what he's saying here. That's what he's saying. He's going to show off. He's going he's to be like, look what I did. Right? So there's, we, we, we come to the end of that little section there. Now. And then we move into verse 19. Verse 19. Hearing and doing the word. Let me read it. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Right. Let's pause. Has anyone this week, maybe even yesterday, maybe even this morning, been slow to hear, quick to speak, and quick to become angry? Just your pastor again. Right. Okay. I have. I have. And you know why sometimes you're preaching, like, I don't know if you've ever preached or have ever spoken or, or done anything like this, 
Because you know the way so it happens all the time, right? It happens all the time. When you're doing a, a, a section of scripture like this here, and then you're just like, this like this here all week, you know? It's like showing you just how messed up you actually are. Slow to, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness an Im the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Be doers of the word, not just hearers, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, not a, not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and once and forgets what he is like. Right. Why does he choose to say these things? Why does he choose to talk about these things? Like being quick to listen. Slow to speak, slow to become angry. Why does James choose to talk about these things? Here's why. Because it is in these things not in your quiet time, not even here, because you look good here. I can tell you, I'm standing looking at you all. You look good, all right? You look decent people. It's not here. It's not in your quiet time. It's not here on Sunday morning. It's not even in Connect Group. It's not here, but it is in these things that we see the measure of our Christianity. It is in these things we see the measure of our Christianity. It's in life. It's in our character. It's in our responses. It's in our relationships. That's where we see our true Christianity. Spiritual life following Jesus is not something just to be practiced in private. There are private components Surely, there are, there are our quiet times. There are times when we come together, like us here. There are times when we, you know, get together in small groups. Yes, brilliant. Those are fantastic. But our real faith, our real following Jesus is displayed on a Monday morning when we're in our workplace or on a Tuesday afternoon or on a Saturday afternoon in a bike race. That's where our real faith, our real character, our real following of Jesus is displayed. You see, for far too long, for far too long in our wee country, there has been taught this kind of segregated spirituality where you turn up on a Sunday, you look the part, you dress a certain way, you sing certain songs, you read a certain version of the Bible, blah, 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 and the list of do's and don'ts go on. And then on a month from, from, from you leave the building until you come back the following week, or maybe you go on a Wednesday night for a midweek, maybe, until you do that, it's, everything's gone. Live how you want, do what you want, treat people how you want, uh, do business how you want, doesn't matter. That is not the Bible. It's not the Bible. It's not following Jesus. 
following Jesus is a holistic spirituality. It is a holistic thing. It is all of life. It is where we are all the time. It's there where we see what our Christianity is really like. Be doers of the Word, not just hearers of the Word. Don't just give assent to knowing God's Word. Don't just, it's not enough. It, James said it's not enough just to know it. But we actually have to do it. See, the reality is the, the Word of God is living and active. And unless we take it and we, we use it and we implant it in our hearts and we, we live it, then it's useless to us. James is saying that. Do not be deceived. Every good gift comes from, or sorry, verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Every, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not just produce uh, the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness, rampantness, and wickedness, which is able to save your souls. But do this. Do the Word. But do the Word of God. And don't deceive yourself. A problem, a problem with a church like ours, this, I'm going to just be real, a problem with, with a church like ours is when we, when we take the Word of God so seriously, and, and we should take the Word of God so seriously, but, but when we take the Word of God so seriously as to, to just consume it, We, look, we, we, make no, we make no apologies. The Word of God is central to everything that we do. It should be central to everything that we do in Cornerstone. should be, no doubt. Make no apology for that. But when we just be consumers of it, we have a real issue. We have a real issue. And so when we come to Cornerstone on a Sunday morning or when we come and we're in our connect groups and, and the Word of God is central and that's a good thing and the right thing, but if we simply become consumers of that, we have an issue. Because we're doing exactly the opposite of what James says. We're just taking it, we're, we're milking it, we're, we're drinking it in, but we're not doing anything with it. We're not doing anything with it. You see, even here now, we are sitting we open up the Bible, we sit under the Word of God, which is a good thing. We sit under the reading of God, or the reading of God's Word, which is a good thing. And our temptation, our temptation is to be passive listeners rather than active doers. James says that's not not enough. It's not enough. If you do that, if you do that, he says again, you are deceiving yourself. Deceiving yourself. If you come in here on a Sunday morning 
and you're like, and you go away. And John was distinctly average today, let's just say. And that's your opinion. You've missed the point. Or John, one on six, hits a decent one. John was good today. You've missed the point. Or John was rubbish. You've missed the point. The point is not John. The point is not how I communicate the scriptures. The point is what? The scriptures. And you listening to them. And you taking them out of this building. And you doing what they say. That's the point. That's what God wants from us. That's what he desires from us. Not to be passive listeners, but active doers. In every sphere of life. Every sphere of life. Don't deceive yourself. Don't deceive yourself. Right. The temptation with a passage like this, when we face and when we hear all these imperatives, these live like this, don't live like this, do this, do that, don't do this. Martin Luther, just interesting side note, Martin Luther called uh, James the Epistle of Straw, right? He called it the Epistle of Straw. Why? Because James was so direct in the fact that do this, don't do this, do this, don't do that. And Martin Luther thought you could maybe get a wee bit confused about the grace of God and all of this and where is the gospel and all of this. Is it just all about what we do, right? So Martin Luther named it the Epistle of Straw, right? And if you're like me and you hear all these do this, don't do this, do, live like this, don't live like this. If you're like me, the temptation for you is to walk out of this building this morning and feel crushed by that, right? You could, you could very easily do that. You could be like, I can't do this because it's so weighty. It's so heavy. I, I, I can't do it. I fail at it over and over again. As we finish, I want to say this. James writes this book writes these imperatives in the knowledge, in the knowledge that we are failing, failed, mess-upped human beings. He knew we would fail. He knew we would not get this perfect. And he knew the grace of Jesus more than anyone. And so I do not want us to walk out of this room this morning feeling crushed by the weight of this, but I do want us to walk out of this room this morning knowing the grace of God over our lives, knowing that when we do mess up, there is forgiveness, knowing when we don't get it perfect, there is restoration, knowing that when we fall, He will pick us up and He will set us on that path again. That's what I want us to know. And when we know that, then that will fill our hearts and we will endeavor to try this. We will endeavor to try it and go after it and do it. Yes? Amen? So we're not crushed by the weight of it. We are thankful for the gospel. It covers all our sin. Let me pray. Father, do thank you for uh, your word. It is, it is a light and a lamp unto our feet. So, Father, I pray that if 
you through the person of the Holy Spirit have been speaking to us today about anything in particular, I pray you would implant that in our hearts and you would help us. Help us to live for you, not just to be hearers but doers. Help us. We need your help. We need your grace. We need your love. We need your compassion. And it is in Jesus' name I pray.